0: Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter two, if you have them with you. Continue on in our series in Genesis. And we'll be in verses 18 through 24. Two years ago, I was actually on a study sabbatical, and I had two topics that I was studying during that time. One of the topics was on a biblical view of abuse and trauma. And some of you might wonder, why in the world would you study on abuse and trauma when there's a sabbatical? One of the main reasons why I chose that study is because of the many counseling situations that I've been involved in where someone was abused. For example, one time with a couple and the husband worked 90 plus hours a week and when he was home was often angry, easily agitated, and can recall in the midst of counseling times, uh, then they told me of a circumstance that happened where they were driving down the road, probably 60, 70 miles an hour, the kids are in the back seat. he's angry at his wife and he punches her in the face while driving. Or can remember sitting with a couple of women who were talking about their previous marriages and one woman's talking about how the husband would just drag her by the hair and pull her. Or remember within my first year of youth ministry and a teenager confesses to Tracy that she's been molested by her brother. And then a few years later having another teen girl say essentially the same thing or counseling with individuals and having this addictive pull of pornography. It's so crazy to me how people can justify uh, pornography. Uh, Even if we just think about this, that, that in reality, where people might say nobody's getting hurt, there's a high percentage of women and children involved in pornography that are actually being enslaved uh, to do these things. Actually 80% of people who have been rescued from human trafficking, 80% of them were involved in this. And yet America spend $12 billion a year on pornography and in any given second in any given second on the internet 28,000 people are viewing pornography every second and sadly this epidemic is 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 ex- expanding it's not just a man's struggle it's a woman's battle as well i remember years ago reading a a commentary by a man that you might be familiar with this name Francis Schaeffer who was alive in the 1900s and he was commenting in uh, Romans chapter 1 and how in Romans chapter 1 you see men exchanging their lusts for wi- or their desires for women and then embracing lusts for men and then Paul goes on and says and women are doing the same thing. And Francis Schaeffer said that when you look at societies and cultures throughout time, you know that the society has got to a a immensely degraded point when the women embrace it too. As the man goes, so do the women. And once the women engage in it, then we've fallen. And that's societally where we're at in our day, right? You know, things have really gone awry. But maybe some of you might say well i don't view i don't view pornography i'm not involved in any kind of sexual sins okay let me just ask you how do you treat the other gender and in particular as it relates to genesis chapter 2 and god's emphasis on the creation of women how do you treat women and if you're a woman how do you view yourself Do you view yourself as God views you or as maybe the culture wants to impress upon you? You may not actually be physically abusive, but when we look at Genesis chapter 2, the questions that should be asked is, do I view women with genuine love? Do you, and I'm now speaking to men, do you raise them up and appreciate God's work in and through women? Do you value them as God values them? I, I, I struggle internally when I hear professing Christians, preachers, men who joke and mock women for apparent weaknesses. Or I I think it's a righteous anger when I hear of husbands who shut their wives up by simply saying, hey, I don't make the rules. God says you're supposed to submit to me. That's not biblical submission, if that's how it's being communicated. And if the husband is speaking that way, he is not viewing and seeing the responsibility that God has given to him. So I remember one time during my sabbatical reading and I was struck with this thought that I believe speaks fully of the heart of God. As I was reading, as I was studying, this thought came to me. God's intent is that the safest place for a woman to be is in the presence of a man. But in actuality, it's not the safest place. And as I was reading, I actually had to pause because I got tears in my eyes. Because for many women, the opposite is true. And that's a horror. But as a result of this brokenness, many women and men don't understand or comprehend God's true glorious intention for male-female relationships. And instead, we protect ourselves from or maybe people view each other simply as objects. So in essence, I studied on abuse and trauma because... I've seen how men in particular don't prize women as God does. Now, as I say that, please hear me. I know that the opposite happens, that men can be abused as well. And if that's you, please come and talk with trusted believers who can point you to Christ and come alongside of you. Today, the text, though, is talking about women, and we also do recognize percentage-wise how many more women are hurt because of the effects of sin in this world, but God wants all of his creation to see what godly relationships are to look like. And we look at Genesis 2. I pray that this narrative would compel you to glorify God as men and women created in his image. So the main idea of this message today is God's glory is uniquely displayed through women and through the covenant of marriage. I'm just going to break this idea down, and hopefully by the end of this sermon, we will rejoice in God and rejoice in God's good design. So I start with God's glory is uniquely displayed through women. Now, as we've been studying through the creation narrative of of Genesis, we see and we have discovered that, that there are certain things in the narrative that confront other ancient narratives. That's different, showing that there's not many gods, there's one God. And this one God is over all, he controls all. He, there's nothing that, that even comes close to tiring him out or threatening his power at all. Instead, he is over every single thing. And then something that's actually really shocking when you get to the end of Genesis chapter one is the statement that says, male and female, he created them in his image. That was shocking because other ancient creation narratives do not give women that privilege of image of God. Men, kings, rulers, their image of God. Women, no. So, right there, you're like, wait, whoa, whoa. God is saying there's something special about women, too. Then you move into chapter two, and it might not seem as surprising when you compare with other ancient narratives. Adam's there. He's, he's in the Garden of Eden, God has placed him in the Garden of Eden. And there's this the man. But then you get later into Genesis 2, where we're at today, and God is really seeking to speak into the silence of the world, the world that is completely silent about the value of women and, and the beauty of God's design with men and women. And, and God says in verse 18, it is not good that man should be alone. And all women say, amen. Amen. But, but, but do you remember in this creation narrative, essentially every day, after each day, God says, and it was what? Good. And that term for good has within it beautiful. And it's good and beautiful because there's a purpose for it to shine forth the glory of God in unique ways. And so this is good. This is beautiful. This is purposeful. This is good. This is beautiful. This is purposeful each day. And then Adam's there in the Garden of Eden and God says, This isn't good. This is not beautiful because it's missing out on the purpose. God has given man a commission to shine forth his glory in ruling under God's rule and to extend the the, the beauty of creation throughout the whole earth. And God says he can't do it alone. He he, He can't do it just as man. Something is not functioning right. Now, this teaches us a really important truth. God's glory is on limited display with only Adam's men. Okay? Remember, the creation narrative is written to the Israelites to learn about who God is and how they are to live as a nation that rules under God's rule. So they're to follow God's design to rule. How are they going to rule effectively if their minds are not aligned to God's thinking on things? They can't, Right? And the same thing is true for us. Like Paul says in Romans chapter 12, be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that we can know what God's will is. How do we live this out? So so what we see here is God's glory is on limited display with only Adam, or we can translate that only man because Adam means man. Now with this, I think what some people tend to think is because this moves to marriage all this is saying is that God is God is saying every man needs to get married you know something like that but but that's that's not the context here yet Mar- a marriage covenant does take place and we'll talk about that but we saw in chapter 1 that God's glory is on fuller display with man and woman right it doesn't say husband and wife right it says man and woman and so what we're getting in this creation narrative right here is that God is God says it's not good for this earth to just be full of men that's not good we need women to be in this earth I think this helps answer a tricky question some people have when they get into Corinthians with Paul, and Paul says, it would be good for you to be like me. Was Paul married? No. Is Paul contradicting Genesis 2? No, he's not, because Paul is ministering with women. He recognized the full body of the church. And so, here in Genesis 2, God announces to all of creation, and he announces to all the pagan cultures, And announces to Israel it's not good that men should be alone in this world God created mankind as male and female to image forth his glory fully and we ought to agree with God that this is not good it's not good to have a a male only society and by the way we'll also see it's not good to have an only female only society as well but the question is, is is Adam gonna recognize this God doesn't state this assessment to Adam off the bat. Instead, what God does is he then parades animals in front of Adam. There's like this special mini creation that takes place in the Garden of Eden. By the way, animals were already created, right? But there's this special mini creation in the garden where God creates certain animals, and then we read this. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whenever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. There was not found a helper fit. So now what? It seems as though as Adam is naming these animals, he's realizing, I-, I need some someone to correspond with me. I'm missing out. And it seems as though the way it's worded, there was not a helper fit for him. It was like he began to search as he's looking at these other creatures. But there's no way that Adam can fix this problem. I don't know what my corresponding one Should be or look like or act or behave. But he agrees with God. This isn't good. Something's not right. And so we read on. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made it into a woman and brought her to the man. So what we have is animals are created from the dust of the earth. Adam is created from the dust of the earth. But there's something, that different, something different that takes place here with Eve. In the English translations, we read that God took what what from Adam? The rib. Um, the Hebrew doesn't say rib. Actually, the only time this Hebrew word is translated rib is here. Every other occurrence that it shows up in the scriptures, it's the side. It's the side of something. Okay, so we're not actually told a bone or a body part or a muscle group, we're just told side. And I actually think, the reason I bring that up is because I think that it gives some good theological implications that we learn from. I agree with uh, Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry wrote this, the woman is not made out of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Not the head, not the foot, the side. They're together in this union. This is how God has created it. Now, by the way, when when we're talking here, this isn't totally talking about the marriage relationship. There's an understanding of a respect and a valuing of women in general, in culture and society. Women are created not to be ruled under men's dominion, but to rule under God's rule together as God has designed. Now, this leads me actually to this phrase, helper fit for. What does that phrase mean? Now, in the context, initially, I think what we can understand is help or fit for means Adam, there are certain things Adam can't do. And for the mission that God has given. So there needs to be another man needs woman to fulfill the mission that God has given to humankind, okay? But there's actually more to that. Sometimes we like to downplay the idea of helping. Like if you're the help, you're inferior. Is you actually, every time, I think it's every single time in the Hebrew, whenever this word is brought up, it's always communicating someone who has, has the ability that somebody else doesn't have. Which, by the way, means men were created with inherent weaknesses. Did you know that, men? Did you know that? Yes, my wife tells me all the time. (laughs) But do you believe it, right? You were created with inherent weaknesses. Now, by the way, the same can be true with women as well. But but recognize the context culturally here. People are downplaying women, and many people tend to, and what we do know and what we're going to get into next week, as a result of the fall, men tend to want to domineer, right? So God is addressing this here pre-fall. She's the helper fit for, which actually has more ramifications than just what I'm saying. The word in the Hebrew means conspicuous or standing out in clear view or the in front of one. Wait, hold on a second. Is she cutting in line? What does this mean? A related verb, a closely related verb to this word means to declare and to reveal The helper fit for is the revealer, the one who is standing out in front of, in clear view. What does this mean? When I was in college, I took an ethics course. And in that ethics course, my professor, he he was speaking of prioritization of relationships. And he was using the Genesis order of creation to talk about prioritizations and making ethical decisions. And he talked about in the creation order, we move from lesser glory to greater glory. And you see that in Genesis chapter one, right? We go from sun, stars, moon, and then you get to male and female. Great glory, right? But Genesis two breaks things down and zooms in and gets more specific. And you actually find, wait a second, it's not men and women together that are last. Who's last in the creation order? Women, right? And so my professor said this I believe, based on the creation order, woman is the capstone of creation. Wait, what does that mean? What what does it mean that she is the capstone? What does it mean that she's Sounds like she's topping me. Now we get into this, like, argument over who's in control. That's not, that's not, I don't believe what my professor was saying. You guys know what a capstone is? How many of you don't know what a capstone is? Okay, so, great. A few years ago, a few years ago, I was in Paris with my two oldest sons. And when we were in Paris, Uh, we saw actually an obelisk that was donated to the French government by Egypt. So here's the obelisk, okay? You see that? I I want you to get an idea of how huge that is. You see my boys standing next to that, right? This thing is gargantuous. It's huge, (laughs) right? What do you see at the very tippy top? That's the capstone. Okay, you'll see that also in Egyptian pyramids as well, or, or when they try to recreate Egyptian pyramids, the capstone is put on the top. What does that do? I mean, there, there is, ama- th- this thing is thousands of years old, and there's amazing hieroglyphics there that's saying something. I'm still impressed by it, even though I have no idea what it says but your, your attention is to focus all the way to the top, right? Because there's this gold that's up there and it's pointing upward, right? What's underneath that capstone? What's underneath it? The stone, it's the stone of the obelisk, right? So if I, if I can think of it this way and maybe expand the illustration of my professor, man is created from the ground, and he's, he's the top, right? And woman comes from the side of man and perfectly corresponds to reveal the glory of humankind, to reveal the glory of mankind. They're together in this, right? But there is a beauty that is uniquely displayed through the woman. Now, again, I know some of you might be thinking, wait a second, I mean, it sounds like you're saying women are more valuable, and that's not what the scriptures say. It's not saying they're more valuable. Male and female, he created them in his image. But, but if I could use just a little bit of a different language. Jesus reveals to us the glory of who? God the Father. Is Jesus more valuable than the Father? Better say No. No. We know our Trinity doctrine, okay? No, Jesus is not more valuable, but Jesus uniquely displays the glory of the Father so much so that if I didn't see Jesus, I wouldn't know the Father. I think this is what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians 11. Woman is the glory of man. She's the glory of mankind, humankind. There's a unique display Can can you imagine how shocking this would have been to ancient cultures reading this? Even to the, the Israelites reading this? Maybe it's shocking to you today. What? I'm not understanding. Women, women, listen. Do you realize that God made you with great privilege, with great beauty to communicate? Now, as you think about this, you could be tempted to say, what does this look like in real life? And I've actually been contemplating this text in particular for about a month, having different conversations with different people, and Jonathan is one of them that I've been talking to. What in the world? I, I, think, I think our world is so fallen, we don't know how to live this out. And Jonathan shared with me some things from C.S. Lewis and C.S. Lewis's writings with the Chronicles of Narnia. Any of you ever read Chronicles of Narnia? Okay, many of you have. So maybe this will be helpful. In the Chronicles of Narnia, you have male and female siblings. And in one scene, Peter states that their adventures are going to be so exciting in Narnia. And he leads the way into the forest. It's communicating something about his maleness, right? But while later on, when they're in Narnia, Peter actually communicates that he thinks his sister Lucy, the youngest, man, she ought to be leading because she was the first one here. She's, she's referred to as this daughter of Eve. So he thinks Lucy should be leading, and he asks, where, where are you going to take us? But then later, at another point in time in the series, Peter, um, Peter admits, or I think at that point in time, he admits she knows Narnia best, but later on in the series, it's not Lucy who becomes king. It's Peter who becomes king. And yet in the series, who often looks like the hero? Lucy. I think what C.S. Lewis is doing is he's taking ideas from Genesis and from God's teaching and saying, isn't this so beautiful? And isn't this so foreign to our minds? We so quickly want to think in terms of power and control and we don't think in terms of the beauty of of a complementing relationship and celebrating the other and rejoicing in the other. I think Lewis does something to help shape how we ought to view men and women. God has designed men and women with different responsibilities, different giftings, and men do have a great responsibility to rule under God's rule. They also have a responsibility to recognize their need for women. And their need uh, because women shine forth God's or women shine forth the glory of mankind uniquely. Now if you say I think I think maybe you're making this stuff up. Let's just go to some other places of scripture. Let let's run let's run to Proverbs. And when you go to Proverbs, you have two women that start off. This book, you have Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom. And they're representative terms, right? But who do we find at the end, the very end of Proverbs? It's like the summation of all the Proverbs. Who is it? It's it's a woman, and the mother is speaking to her son, saying, this is the kind of woman that you should be seeking for, because this woman personifies wisdom. Like, she's raised up. And, and by the way, it also says in the story between husband and wife, the husband raises her up. The children raise her up and call her blessed. But woman, woman personifies wisdom here. Move on and go into the New Testament. Go into the gospel writings. And when you, when you read in the gospel writings, who is the safest place for women? Who? Who? Jesus. Jesus is the safest place. He is who Adam wasn't. You can have the woman at the well whose reputation preceded her. And they're at the well, just the two of them. And what can happen at the well alone? And Jesus does not take advantage of her. Jesus loves her and gives her what she needs. You can have Mary Magdalene with her story and her reputation. And she comes into a group of men and she wipes Jesus' feet and cleans it with her own tears and hair. And the men are saying, oh, that's inappropriate. And Jesus says, he who is forgiven much loves much. Jesus doesn't put her down. And then we have the passage like what we read earlier maybe you were wondering why are we reading from galatians and about sonship it was so interesting that term son the term son from the roman perspective was the the sons get the inheritance does that make sense i mean you can understand that but the women didn't get the inheritance and yet paul writes and says to the whole galatian church you all are sons. What is he saying? He's not saying that you're no longer uh, a female gender. What he's saying is, and that was the emphasis in the passage, you have all been adopted by God. You all have the privileges of adoption. You all, male and female, receive the inheritance. Amazing, right? Beautiful. And what we see in the scriptures is that And Jesus, who is never married, reveals God's intention. The safest place for a woman ought to be in the presence of a man. And ultimately of Jesus Christ himself. And at least by the end of Genesis 2, Adam agrees. At least at this point in time, Adam agrees because you read his response. Then the man said, At last. You know, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. There is amazement, there is appreciation, there is shock and awe. I don't, I don't know the Hebrew language, but I've heard that the Hebrew form and structure here actually does communicate amazement, communicates awe, like, whoa, man. She, she, what is this? It's finally someone who's, who's not like me, but like me. She's so like me, but she's unique. This is beautiful. And right here, if I could just take a moment. I've mentioned this when I was at the end of chapter one, but we see clearly in Genesis one and Genesis two that the magnificence of God's glory is on fuller display with male and female. Jesus affirms that in Matthew 19. Having you read from the beginning, he created them male and female. And we, we live in a day today where those distinctions are taken away and diminished. And, and I, I believe the reason why from a spiritual perspective it's taken away is because satan and our flesh hates the glory of god we suppress the truth about god and embrace lies what's a great way to suppress the glory of god in this world get rid of gender get rid of gender distinctions and yet here in this story we we see a man who values a woman loves her and cares for her. And God's glory is on display. This moves us into the second part of the main idea, which I'm just going to comment on briefly here. God's glory is uniquely displayed through women and through the covenant of marriage. Adam immediately covenants with her. Wait, where do you see or do you see a covenant? Well, actually the phrase bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh was covenantal terminology in the ancient world. Uh, flesh referred to weakness, bones referred to strength. And so in some ways it's kind of like modern marriage ceremonies where you say in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, as long as we both shall live. But, but there's more to this actually, it's actually saying um, your weaknesses and my weaknesses your strengths and my strengths whatever those are i covenant with you and i covenant together trusting god to bring to bring my side to my side forever adam could immediately covenant with her because he sees the beauty of this one the magnificence of this capstone Of creation and so he declares at last bone of my bones flesh of my flesh what we see in this for the nation of Israel and for the world is that God's general intention is marriage now as I say that I want to make sure that you understand something if you're not married I said the general intention is was Jesus married was he was he less of a human being He was the fullest right was Paul less of a human being because he wasn't no no so if you're single you're not any less human you are created in the image of God to shine forth his glory and I would actually agree with the early church that said those who are single actually in this world get to picture forth an image forth the glory that's going to come someday where we are neither we are neither given in marriage right But we see that marriage is a general pattern. Verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Notice the therefore. This is Moses. Moses is writing this, and this is his insertion for the nation of Israel to understand. Because of this, that's why we have marriage today. Marriage is not made up just by certain patriarchal societies that want to view women as property. Did you know that? Marriage, marriage is made up by God. God brought it to be. And God blessed this marriage with Adam and Eve. And you can say, why? Well, actually, before you say why. The phrases leave and hold fast are important to understand. Those are covenantal terms as well. To leave your father and mother is saying to the husband, your priority is your wife now she is the main priority it's not saying here literally you can't live close to your parents men it's not saying that it's saying that your covenant is with her she is your priority and holding fast is not a literal terminology either like saying as as soon as you're there in the wedding ceremony i'm holding fast i will not let you go you know, well, just a little bit, please. Hold fast is a covenantal term. I'm not, I'm, we're bound together. By the way, that's not just sexual terminology. That, that is a whole life and being enmeshed with the other person. I will hold fast to you. Now we say, why? Why did this happen in the first place? And the Apostle Paul tells us that it was a mystery in the Old Testament, but now we know. He says, I'm saying that marriage refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You say, how does marriage point to Jesus Christ and the church? Well, men are to show the sacrificial love of Christ that Jesus has shown towards the church. Je- Jesus didn't just only die That is phenomenal. I'm not trying to negate that. But Jesus came to this earth and lived. And suffered. And was patient with. And cared for. And died. And rose from the dead. And even to this day, Jesus, our Savior, if you've turned from your sins and trusted in him, Jesus still helps because he sent another helper, the Holy Spirit, to grow us so that we could grow in the word, grow in maturity, grow in faith. And so husbands are to image forth that towards their wives, that type of sacrificial love and care. And wives are to show forth the love that the church is supposed to have towards Jesus Christ. This is what marriage is about. Marriage is, can I say it this way? Marriage is the greatest earthly picture of Jesus in the church. And by the way, no wonder that they're attacked as well because we want to get rid, the sinful world wants to get rid of God's glory. But it's all about Jesus. And so we even see with Jesus, we as a church, we spent this this morning singing and raising up the name of Jesus. Praise Jesus, right? And then the scriptures also will say, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God because in due time, he will what? Exalt you. Now it's not saying he exalts us above him, no. But but isn't that the idea that we see within marriage that it ought to be? And even within human relationships between men and women, that we say, Oh, I so appreciate you. I want to lift, I want to lift you up. I want to show the character and nature of God by lifting and raising you up. I think that will happen if we As believers, truly see the beautiful picture that God has given to shine forth his glory in this world. God's glory is uniquely displayed through women and through the covenant of marriage. And again, if you've turned from your sins and you've experienced cleansing, you can grow in obeying God's will And his will is that you would flee from sexual immorality. His will is that that you would flee from those types of sinful behaviors that put down and destroy. But instead, his will is that we would be a new community of people living out the new creation that now treats one another as family. The Apostle Paul says, men, treat the women as sisters and mothers and treat the men, the older men as fathers and, and the younger men as brothers. He's meaning in a purity sense and in a care sense. That's how we are to be treating each other. And we can live that way. We can. By the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. Not because of us, but because the Holy Spirit is at work. And as we live that way, as we live that way, we show one another and we show the world that there is a new Adam. Adam. By the way, Adam's first words were, whoa, woman. Okay? Do you know what his second recorded words were? It was the woman you gave me. See how quickly it fell? Praise God, Jesus never said that. And Jesus perfectly fulfilled and said, I will follow your will i'll follow your will he's the new adam and by his grace we can follow the new adam as men and women and shine forth the glory as a new community to show to one another and to the world that the new adam jesus truly saves that god's glory can shine once again through men and women displaying his image now as i say all of this and We've even come to a close of the the message. I do want to say, I know, I know there's broken people here. We're we're all broken, but I, I know that there are more than likely people here that you've suffered abuse, or maybe you currently are. Studies show out of every group of 100, five women are currently suffering abuse or trauma, and it doesn't change in the church. 93% 93%. 93% of the most uh, of sex offenders self title as religious or very religious. And the very religious have the most egregious crimes against them. That ought not to be so. I'm saying that because there could be people here And if God is confronting you, maybe you're the one who's traumatizing or abusing and God's confronting you, please don't ignore that conviction. There's going to be people up here, men and women, who are ready to talk. But then too, if you're someone who has been or you're going through currently and you need people to talk and pray for you, please talk to us. And if it feels uncomfortable to come up in front of everyone, reach out please maybe for you there's something entirely different that you want to talk about and, that, and you're welcome to you just need prayer or you have questions about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ we'd love to talk to you but, oh when I look at Genesis all I can see is God's design is so beautiful it is so very good so purposeful and glorious because God is all glorious. Amen? We're going to sing in a moment. We're going to sing the song we sang earlier with men and women singing together. So I hope that we can rejoice in hearing each other's voices singing to the glory of God. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you. Hallowed be your name. May we know your glory may we sing of your glory and praise you supremely god help us help us as a church as a people to realize that that jesus truly does change us and changes how we interact with one another because jesus jesus is the perfect one he is the god man thank you Thank you that you have loved us so much that you sent your son. Now, Father, I ask that you would bring healing to our hearts. That you would bring restoration. That you would change us and transform us more to your glorious image. Not only individually, but as men and women created in your image. And it's in Jesus' name I ask. Amen. And hear these words now. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemy, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Amen.